Hi, good morning everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are glad to be together here today on a rainy weekend here in Eastern Washington. But hey, we're happy to be here. Um, we are so excited, as we mentioned last week, about the potential for a facilities purchase. Uh, we had our inspection this week and things went really well. We are so excited for the continued conversations, the opportunities that this can provide both as a church and for the community to embed in a neighborhood. We are incredibly excited. So thank you for your prayers, your support, and continued conversation as we walk through this process. We would uh, love if you have questions, if you're not real familiar with where we're at in the process, we would love to have a conversation with you. So please reach out to Sarah or myself and let's continue that conversation. Absolutely. So, so excited. So many of you guys have heard my story. I was born in Italy and lived there until I was six years old. And I just love Italy. I love the Italian culture. I, I love the language. I just love so much about Italy. And one of the things that I really love that stands out to me is um, their practice of long meals. Often they have late dinners, they stay up late, and they just sit around the table and have conversation for hours. That does seem like something you'd have to practice, huh? I don't know. It's not, it's fun. It's awesome. I just love this about the Italian culture. In fact, um, when Mike and I were dating in college and he went and uh, met my parents for the very first time, I remember on the, on the drive to my parents' house, he asked me, so what do I need to know before meeting your parents? And the one thing I told him was, you know, just sit and have conversation at the table for as long as they want. And sure enough, you sat there how long? Maybe two hours, two and a half hours. I don't know. Question yeah. after question. The conversation went really well, but that's just how the, the Italian culture is. You sit at the table and you have conversation and you eat good food. And I love that practice. Yeah. I, and actually, I, I've have very fond memories of that gathering and the conversation that I got to have with them was just uh, super enamored by this family and these people. It was an amazing time. I think the only thing that could have improved that moment would be if there would have been like a football game on in the background or something like that. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're going to talk more about table fellowship and uh, relationship today. Um, but I want to back up just to last week. We've been looking at the book of Acts and we've been considering uh, the story of what the Holy Spirit does uh, in uh, both initiating and uh, fueling uh, this movement of God, the church, as it begins in the book of Acts. And so last week we talked about the Holy Spirit uh, coming at Pentecost. We talked about this uh, miraculous and beautiful moment in which the Holy Spirit comes and, and the crowds of thousands of Jewish people that have gathered for this Jewish celebration, Pentecost, uh, they hear this wind and they see these tongues of fire and the apostles begin speaking in all these other languages of the Jewish people that have traveled from other nations. Um, people begin to hear in their own language this message of a risen Savior. Jesus has risen from the dead. And the story in Acts 2 tells us that on that day, 3,000 believers were baptized. Mm. 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus in this new movement that was beginning. The church had begun on this day. What a day. Yeah, 3, I know. Right. Yeah, what a day. So what the church, having begun as this um, sect of Judaism, right, this uh, group of Jewish people who said, our Messiah 
has arrived will soon begin mm-hmm. to flourish throughout uh, both um, Israel and throughout the nations as it begins to spread. But the question that we ask and begins to be answered at the end of Acts chapter 2 is, what does this church look like? What's distinctive about it? Who are these people? What is this new movement of believers in Jesus? So today we're going to look at that. What does this church look like? I'll be reading from Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. All right. So this is a profound description of this new movement, the church that has begun. And it mentions a lot of different things. So instead of walking chronologically through the book of Acts, we're going to start to highlight some of these things that the church was marked by. Some of the things that were very distinctive about this people, about the church. And today we're going to talk um, about uh, relationship. We're going to talk about what, how these people lived together. So in, in this list that Sarah just read, um, it mentions they were distinguished by or they were dedicated to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread, to prayer. Uh, they experienced wonders and signs uh, through the apostles by the Holy Spirit who is empowering this new movement, the church. And they were people marked by generosity. Um, and today as we explore uh, the nature of a relational church, a relational people, um, I don't think we'll be terribly surprised by this as a distinguishing mark mm-hmm. of the church in that We worship a God who exists in three parts, a God who is relational in nature, um, the creator, the savior, the sustainer, all playing distinct roles yet a part of the Godhead, the Trinity. So a God who exists in relationship, uh, we see the church uh, that follows him uh, begins with this relational, um, this um, communal Mm -hmm. nature to it. So today we're looking at both the fellowship and the breaking of the bread that is mentioned here because these are both very relational in nature. Um, Neither of those terms, fellowship and breaking of the bread, are phrases that we often use um, in today's language. And so sometimes that sounds a a little different for us. Fellowship especially can sound a little bit churchy, to me at least. But it's this beautiful word. Um, in Greek, it's koinonia. And it's got a rich meaning. It means to participate in community, to share in something together, to partner together. It has this idea associated with, with it of belonging and connecting, this relationship um, focused community that was the church at the at the beginning of Acts here is centered around Jesus as the risen Savior mm-hmm. and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And, and these two 
teachings, these two things, the, the, the risen Savior and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is what unites them together into this relational um, community that's focused on this. Yeah, and in that definition of fellowship, I really love this idea of participating mm -hmm. in community. Have you ever felt alone in a crowd? Have you ever felt that experience, that moment in which mm -hmm. I'm surrounded by people, I am in community, but I'm not participating, I don't feel a part of it. My high school experience was not stellar, uh, much to my own fault, my own, you know, by my own choices. However, I know well that feeling mm -hmm. of being alone in a crowd or just feeling lost while surrounded by people. And so this idea of fellowship that's described here in Acts 2 uh, speaks of a people participating mm -hmm. in community, engaged in it. And this koinonia, this fellowship, this community that existed in the church, it redefined the ways people lived. So they continued together at the temples, these large gatherings. And, and the temple was both a spiritual place of worship for the Israelite people, as well as just a societal gathering place. It was a place that people would come together regularly. And so this first century church, they continued, it says, daily together at the temples together in these larger gatherings. Uh, but in addition to that, uh, it describes them gathering in these kind of intimate home mm -hmm. settings, in these uh, one family with another. A couple families come together and they broke bread. They shared meals together. And I think it's a really rich and beautiful description mm -hmm. of the way the Holy Spirit and this new church, this move, new movement, begin to reshape the way people engaged in their daily lives. So the breaking of bread together, it can refer to two different things. It can re refer to just having a meal together, just a, a, a normal, regular meal that, that we all eat, sharing that together. It also refers to taking communion together, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later on, but it refers to the practice of communion and the Lord's Supper. And what's striking to me as I read about the early church breaking bread together is the atmosphere, which is described in Acts chapter 2. It says that they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They were praising God. You had this atmosphere of joy. They're just so excited for what has happened. So excited to be a part of this community centered around Jesus. Yeah, this is good news. And we are experiencing it and yes. sharing it. What could be more exciting? Yeah, good. Just the joy and the excitement is awesome to see in here. And then the response of non-believers. So the community around them looking in at these gatherings, they realize how amazing it is. It says they enjoyed the favor of all people and then daily God was adding to their numbers. And so it was seen as such a beautiful and a positive thing by the people around them. I love an author. Her name is um, Shauna Nequist. And, and there's a quote. She writes a lot about hospitality and table fellowship. And it's one of the things I love reading about. And there's a quote from her I wanted to read to you today that I think really pertains to this. She writes, the heart of hospitality is about creating space for someone to feel seen and heard and loved. It's about declaring your table a safe zone, a place of warmth and nourishment. And I love this description of hospitality and being together, just creating space for people to feel seen and heard and loved. And this is a great description of koinonia 
here, this fellowship that we're seeing, the breaking of the bread together. Yeah, so it's not by accident that the first century church forms around a table. Mm -hmm. uh, this experience mm -hmm. of meals together and communion and remembering Jesus. Because after all, they are formed around the person and the presence of Jesus, right? And Jesus throughout his ministry, uh, table fellowship, meals shared together were central. In fact, mm -hmm. many of the major revelations and movements in the story we find in the Gospels of Jesus' ministry and God's work in the world happened around a table. And For so, those of us who like food, mm -hmm. that's an excellent thing. That's a good thing, yeah. <laughs> all, all of this is a good thing. If you like food, and yeah. most of us do, yeah, this is good news as well. Um, and so Jesus shared meals with many different people, and we saw it on the grand scale mm -hmm. throughout the Gospels. We see multiple times where he feeds thousands of people, right? Mm -hmm. Thousands of people have come together to hear his words, to be in his presence, and he says, well, here is what God has to say to you, and and they experience his presence, but not just that, they experience something very simple yet concrete, and that is the food that he has to offer, the shared experience, the meal together. He also had these smaller intimate gatherings, like we see the church experiencing both of these. We see it with like in Luke 10, Mary and Martha, two of his friends and partners in his ministry, um, we, we, we read stories of him sitting at a table in small groups and sharing meals with people. Jesus, in fact, was criticized mm -hmm. by people uh, because of who he shared, whom he shared meals with. He was criticized for eating with tax collectors and sinners of the day. And and it, it's interesting, in Matthew 9, we hear the story of Jesus calling Matthew to be one of his disciples. And Matthew is a tax collector. And the political and historical context here really matters because Matthew, the tax collectors, were considered traitors by the Jewish people because they had aligned themselves with Rome, who was... Um, the ruling power of the day and they were collecting taxes from the Jewish people to give to Rome and these taxes were were very oppressive at that time and so Jesus calls Matthew to join him to follow him and Matthew accepts that invitation and so hosts a big dinner at his house and he invites all his friends, many of whom are tax collectors or who the religious leaders of that day would call sinners, people who who weren't in the religious circles. And uh, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they, they ask, they say, why? Uh, they ask the disciples, why does your teacher eat with these kinds of people? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus is quick to respond that these are the people that I have come for. These are my people. Yeah. And Jesus often in opposition to or challenged by the Pharisees, he kicks back on the subject mm -hmm. of table fellowship. Uh, multiple times throughout the Gospels, we see um, meals uh, shared together in a home in which Jesus is dishonored by the action mm -hmm. of the Pharisees. In Luke chapter 7 and Luke chapter 14, we see multiple occasions where by not offering him the opportunity to wash his feet as he enters mm -hmm. a house or time and time again through the things that they say, they dishonor him in the way they share meals. Uh, Jesus says you can actually use table fellowship in destructive ways. And, and then in Matthew chapter 23, 
um, he goes on and uh, he, he speaks of how the Pharisees share meals and how they experience these moments. And he says, everything they do is done for people to see. Mm. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. And so Jesus, I think he challenges us here. Uh, table fellowship is central to the ministry of Jesus. The experience of the first mm. century church will uh, soon challenge ourselves to take seriously the opportunity to spend time together and share meals together. But Jesus does caution us. It can be done in inappropriate manners. It can be, in fact, destructive. Mm. Jesus also shared meals with his disciples. Uh, one of the meals that's recorded for us um, in the Gospels is the Passover meal that he shared with his disciples. And he gave the Passover meal a whole new meaning. So the Passover was to remember how God had brought the Israelites out of Egypt. And, and during the Passover meal, Jesus takes the bread Again, the break, the breaking of the bread. This is, you know, that where that expression comes from. But he takes the bread and he gives thanks and he broke it. And he said to them, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, he, te- he takes the cup of wine and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. He says, do this again in remembrance of of me. So Jesus adds a whole new meaning to the Passover. Every time you break bread together, uh, remember my sacrifice. This was right before he was crucified. He's like, remember what's about to happen. I'm, I'm going to be killed for the forgiveness of sin. So remember this, um, through the breaking of the bread communion. Yeah, and this practice has continued to today, and it's a beautiful one, sometimes overlooked or kind Mm -hmm. of missed in its richness and the opportunity. Uh, In our churches, we often call it communion or the Lord's Supper or Eucharist. It's referred to in a number of ways. Eucharist, a term you might not be as familiar with, uh, it's actually a Greek word for thanksgiving, right? Um, So this practice has continued through in the church up to today, um, these meals that were central to Jesus' mm-hmm. ministry have become central to our practice in the church, to the ways that we operate together. And there's two primary aspects to communion as we consider what what is this that we do together um, when, when we gather. And the first is communing with God, and the second is communing with each other. There's two aspects to what communion is. In communing with God, with God, as Jesus said at that Passover meal, he said, um, remember me, do this in remembrance of me. And we are connected to and drawn into the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus in this experience of communion. And we declare that Jesus is Lord. He has risen from the dead as we take communion together but not in isolation, right? It's a together experience. We come together to declare Jesus as Lord, and we participate in community as we declare he has risen Mm -hmm. from the dead and there is new hope. Absolutely. So as we look back at Acts 2, the early church was marked by relationships marked by fellowship and the breaking of the bread, but relationship. They were a people who were passionately and intentionally living life together for a common purpose. And that purpose was Jesus and living out and spreading the good news of Jesus in the world. 
Yeah, so as we look at the first century church and we consider for the next few weeks, um, what are the distinguishing marks of the first century church? And then we challenge ourselves, how do we live into those sorts of things? We ask ourselves mm-hmm. today, what does it look like to live in the ways of the first century church? A people who created safe, loving, and healthy relationships, all revolving around the work of the Holy Spirit and a common purpose in our lives. This is our challenge, to create safe, loving, and healthy relationships, to share meals together, to spend time together with this common purpose, this common vision. Jesus has risen, and there is new hope in this world. And there are many ways to be intentional about this, and how do we create these sorts of relationships? And I think worship Worshiping together and taking communion together are beautiful ways to to practice that type of community. Like Micah said, sharing meals together and just doing life together. So the ordinary, small, routine things of life, going for a walk with someone, um, surprising someone with a latte or a handwritten note or picking up the phone and having a conversation with people. These all build those types of relationships. And now it, this season has been quite challenging with the pandemic, with COVID, that we've, we've not been able to gather. Yeah, the great then, irony is here we are on your computer screen, cell phone, yes. or TV screen talking about table fellowship and communion together, right? Right. And, and so it definitely looks different um, in this season, but this is still our opportunity and our calling to create this type um, to, to foster these types of relationships in this community. You know, we anticipate and look forward meeting like we used to, hopefully soon. But in this time that we're in right now, we're not without hope and uh, or, or relationship in this season. You know, the early church centered around Jesus as the risen Savior and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And that was that was like the focus of their community. And we get to be a community like that as well. And in this unusual time, we'll, we'll need to be really intentional, but to, to be intentional to reach out to each other, to show that we care, to meet in safe ways, we still get to participate in this type of community, in this type of relationship as the church. Yeah. You know, I'm drawn back to just our history, our journey as a church. We chose in the beginning, we felt led to this idea of uh, belong, believe, become, and in that order, creating a community of belonging in which people from any walk of life in any place in their spiritual journey can come and find community. Mm -hmm. They can belong as we explore who Jesus is and what transformation looks like in life. And so uh, central to us is this uh, core value, this first value of a place of belonging. And and that's what I'm hearing described in Acts chapter 2 today. I mean, here's our invitation. You are invited to participate Mm -hmm. in community, uh, a community marked by Christ-like love and relationship, a community marked by a mission for God's good work in this world. Let's pray together. Dear God, we just thank you so much for this invitation to be a part of your community, to be a part of your fellowship, this church. Lord, we thank you for how your spirit empowers us. Lord, we thank you how your your spirit is, is just our constant companion. 
And Lord, we just ask that you would teach us to live out um, the love of Jesus. Lord, teach us how to live in community. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So again, we have a song for you this week, and this is a newer song, um, one that I can't wait to sing together uh, when we get to come back together on Sunday morning. And um, it's a song called Make Us One, and uh, it's a beautiful song that uh, speaks of we're one with the Father, one Mm -hmm. with the Son, one with the Spirit, Mm -hmm. Um, and it speaks of us having one mission and one vision, uh, commonality amongst us, and the prayer of the song, God, make us one. We have all this in common, so make us one. I hope you find blessing in this song this week. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.